hello there, Brian from Franchise Simply. Lovely to invite you along to our next Franchise Radio Show. And this is called Avoiding the Blunders Most Business Builders Make. If you're in business, you know what I'm talking about. The reality is, you know, people say we learn from experience, but the reality is you're far better off learning from somebody else, standing on their shoulders and <laughs> avoiding those mistakes. And today I've got someone that I suppose uh, is laughing away, Paul Blackburn. I'll introduce you to him in a moment. But Paul, uh, Prue and I spent time with Paul about 12 or 13 years ago and in between times I count him as a friend and a mentor and he certainly made a dramatic difference to us and our attitude to life and to business but to this day which I'm really delighted to share with people. Paul if you don't know I haven't heard any of my previous conversations with him he's an internationally acclaimed author uh, and leader in the human potential movement. Paul has taught an astounding 400,000 people across four continents about how to reach their personal and professional potential. He's done that through a period of 38 years as a coach and author instructor keynotes keynote speaker he's been really involved in a lot of areas because once you've got skills like that people come gravitate to you he's he's trained over 350 life and business coaches and he held one of the world's largest firewalks that's something i've avoided He was appointed by the Australian government to its business advisory panel and is a partner in a multi-million dollar business operating in 100 countries. Um, he mentions it's not related to personal development. Paul, lovely to have you along today. Thanks for making the time. Oh, thanks, mate. Thanks for having me. It's, it's a delight to be chatting again. You know, we've had a lot of conversations over the years and um, I've found that they've been mutually beneficial. So thanks for having me. Oh, well, I'm, I'm still in, de- in debit at this end. So, <laughs> so look, I suppose I appreciate the work you do. Uh, which is pretty broad-faced, but you work with a lot of people in business continually on long-term relationships as well as short-term ones. So perhaps from that point of view, using your wisdom and your knowledge you've accumulated, what do you think is the number one problem that builders business, I'll start again, business builders face? (laughs) (laughs) Well, given that most people never get to tell a story, it's not that obvious. And and the reason I say that is that 90% of businesses in Australia, and in fact, in the Western world, 90% of businesses that get launched don't make it to their 50 year anniversary because they go broke. So when you think there's a 90% failure rate, then, you know, this is kind of like, you know, something that most people would want to avoid. So you'd have to say, we're probably certifiable that we want to go into business ourselves. And yet that's, you know, exactly what a lot of people want to do. The problem is what happens and the fundamental problem is that most people take the mindset that they've got before they go into business with them into business. And it's what I call a practitioner mentality. And so, you know, typically when you look at someone who's a practitioner, someone who has a skill for which they can charge good money. You know, maybe they're a massage therapist, maybe they're a bricklayer. It could be a lawyer, a doctor, any of those kind of, you know, where they're practicing a skill that they've spent time learning. When they take that mentality into the operation of the business, generally speaking, that is a kiss of death. And generally speaking, that is the main reason that they fail. Because, you know, put bluntly, if you're going to be a bricklayer and all you've learned is laying bricks, then running a bricklaying business is not the same thing. Because, you know, I have a friend, a friend and a client who's a musician. He plays piano for some of the major orchestras around the world. You know, these people fly him first class to the location to play the piano. Um, He's at that level. And, you know, he said to me, he said, there's no money in music. And I said, well, how come you have this boat, this multi-million dollar boat that we're standing on? And he said, I was taught from the beginning that there was no money in music. I would have to have an alternative source of income. So I own medical centers. And he got several medical centers around the place and they provide his income. And the reason those things work really well is he doesn't work in them. He plays piano and there's no money in piano. So he has a source of income off to the side. And so the reason those medical practices go well is that he has a general manager.
manager, you know, he pays a general manager huge amounts of money um, because that person is a kick-ass CEO and that person knows how to run multiple establishments, which is not like being a doctor, right? Doctors know how to prescribe medicines. Doctors know how to analyze what's going wrong. Bricklayers know how to lay bricks. Massage therapists know how to fix muscles. None of them know how to run a business. Running a business is a separate skill. And so when the doctor or the lawyer or the dentist or the massage therapist gets in control of the business, generally speaking, they fail to get a business education because they assume that if they started the business, they know what to do. And most people who do launch a business are going to have to do 100 hours a week anyway to get it launched. So who's got time for education? Who's got time for finding out the best way? Let's just get it going. And so, you know, when you're doing 100 hours a week, you know, where do you fit in having a coach or getting some education or finding out what are the different skills? And yet we could say, you know, what got you to where you are is not going to get you to where you need to go. Most people, as they graduate through business, their number one problem is that they don't go and get the education necessary to work up at the next level. Because, you know, my friend who's a musician with the medical practices has no medical skills whatsoever. And I'm saying that's his major advantage. Mm, Does that make sense? Absolutely. This uh, is shades here of, I suppose, most people are listening would would have known of Michael E. Gerber. I interviewed him a while back on his 80th birthday. But, you know, one of the most popular business books ever, regularly voted as such, is E-Myth Revisited. If you haven't read it, read it because he calls technicians. But essentially, we're talking about the same person here is the technician. The technician or the practitioner brings that mindset to the work. You know, if you look at a bricklayer, generally speaking, the way, you know, when a brick, here's what motivates a lot of people, right? As an apprentice, they do a lot of, you know, they stand there saying, you know, I do all the work and the boss takes home all the money. Hmm. And that might be true as a bricklayer apprentice because you're mixing all the mud, you're carrying all the bricks, blah, blah, blah. And so they get the shits and they say, well, bugger it, I'm going to start my own thing and I'll keep all the money. What they don't realize is that they're signing up for all of the aspects of running a business that their boss was previously taking care of. You know what it's like, you know, filling in the bass and doing the superannuation and organizing the work and making sure the supplies turn up and all the things that the apprentice doesn't notice happening that the business owner has to put time into. Now they have to do that and it gets overwhelming for them. And the thing they don't learn is how to get more customers. And since they don't know how to get more customers, and that turns out to be the major problem because a bricklayer understands that the way that you build a bricklaying business is you buy a ute and you paint your name on the side of it. That's the extent of their knowledge about how to build a business, which is make sure it's parked out the front because if it's parked out the back, which they often do, it doesn't generate any business because most bricklayers get their business because people stop and say, hey, can you come and give us a quote or whatever? And so they remain completely clueless about how to build a business and become highly skilled at laying bricks. And then they wonder where all the customers are gone and why they can't find them. And, you know, the whole thing just never fails to take off. I've got a client in Sydney. Once again, I'm the business coach for the, I'm the coach for the business, not the individual, not the owner. But this guy is in fact a bricklayer, except that he employs 220 bricklayers. And he, uh, you know, my big question to my, when I'm coaching people, I say, what does this guy wear to work? Hmm. And most people say, I don't know. And I say, well, he wears whatever he likes, but predominantly it's a suit because he spends all day going and spending time talking to property developers saying, you know, he takes them out for lunch or a beer or something. And his major message is the next building, can we quote on it? He doesn't say, I want to lay your bricks. He just opened the door. And so that's his primary activity is finding new customers. And the bricklayer thinks, no, my job is laying bricks. The doctor thinks, no, my job is writing prescriptions or helping people get better. The lawyer thinks it's about writing letters or whatever, but 
the smart cookie doesn't learn any of that. The smart cookie learns how to find more customers and bring them into the fold. That makes sense. Absolutely. Look, and, and the people I'm talking to, and I we you're talking to, one of the reasons, main reason I invited you along today was I talked to clients of ours and prospective customers of ours who've already got quite well-established businesses. I can think of two or three at the moment, got 20, 30, 40 outlets, but they actually have never addressed this issue that Paul's talking about because they won't get any bigger. And many I talked to have got five or 10 and won't get any bigger because they just won't let go. So they're still controlling the mud that goes in the mixer, to use your analogy there, rather than having somebody else doing it and uh, putting their suit and tie on or whatever's appropriate. So I suppose (laughs) you've alluded here to a little bit. So I guess my next question was going to be, what's the difference between a business owner and entrepreneur? I think you've probably nailed it, but do you want to add a little bit of flesh to that bone there, Paul? Well, I think a business owner, as we know them nowadays, are kind of people that you and I are both talking about. They're involved in operations. They're involved in making stuff happen. And your average business owner nowadays is overwhelmed by the amount of stuff that goes wrong. And they're managed by crisis and they go from one problem to another. You know, very commonly, they're going to say to you things like, you know, I came to work with my list of things to do today. It's two o'clock in the afternoon. I haven't got started on my list because this went wrong and I had to handle that. And, you know, this delivery was late and the tax department rang and da 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 And they kind of, they manage problems. An entrepreneur manages vision. An entrepreneur goes, how else can we make money? What other opportunities are there to either grow the business or find other opportunities? You know, entrepreneurs will spend a lot of time out of the business because they're actually checking out other opportunities because, you know, a good business owner will make sure the business generates profit. You know, that's the bottom line responsibility is that we have to generate profit in excess of what we're capable of spending. And that's two different kinds of things, right? Profit is profit. Most business owners spend it all because they're so exhausted they buy lots of toys, right? So all of the money that's profit disappears in jet skis and motorbikes and Harleys and, you know, Audis and all of that sort of stuff. And so that keeps them chained to the desk. But an entrepreneur says, no, no, we have to make money in excess of that. So we need the toys. Of course we need the toys. But we also need spare cash because I want to invest it in upgraded machinery. I want to invest it in alternative opportunity. I want to invest it in opening another outlet. You know, we need to buy another van or we need to buy another location or we need to blah, blah, blah. Or I've just got a heap of spare cash and I'm just going to buy a property and do a renovation or whatever, completely separate thing. So an entrepreneur spends a lot of time out of the business. A business owner spends a lot of time in the business. So, you know, classic E-Myth revisited stuff from Michael Gerber. If you're in it, you've got a problem. If you're working in it, you've got a problem. If you're working on it, you're probably doing the right thing in terms of getting it to the point where it's going to look after you. So we're talking about here, how do you find and how do you navigate the stairway to get yourself up from the coal face in control of the day-to-day technical things? So what would you say is the number one skill then that people need to learn to move from this practitioner to entrepreneur? Well, it's a weird thing. Um, it's not. I don't know if it's a skill, but we'll call it that. It's the skill of asking for help. It's the willingness to admit that we don't know everything and to go and engage the experts. You know, like when people come to you, what they're doing is they're buying knowledge, right? You know, your experience goes back so far that it's ridiculous. And, you know, no matter what you charge, and I hope you charge a lot, but no matter what you charge, buying knowledge is always cheaper than gaining experience because gaining experience costs a lot of money and takes a lot of time. So the number one skill in my view is recognizing I don't know how to generate leads. I don't know how to sell. I don't know how to manage a big team rather than saying, oh, well, I reckon I can boss people around. I'm going, yeah, that's not exactly a management course, right? If you can say it like that, that's not exactly learning how to run a business. That's just, you know, bullshit. 
bullshitting yourself that your personality is strong enough or that you're smart enough and that you can shoot from the hip. And no decent business has been built by someone who shoots from the hip. And so the number one skill in my view is to get the helicopter view, to get up above it, look at what the business needs and go and source that, go and find that. And if it's good advice, now that could be lawyers, it could be business coaching, it could be management courses, it could be understanding finances. There's a million directions people can go in. Most people don't go there because they're overwhelmed with the actual work. And mm. so, yeah, the number one skill is what I call get the helicopter view because there's a lot you can see from a helicopter that you can't see when you're on the ground. Yeah, that's uh, having the mind to fly, isn't it? This sort of vision yes. to do that without needing mechanical means to get you up there. So I suppose when we talk about that, and thanks for that explanation, that really gives it clarity to my mind. So let's move on to another stage, another element, another step up the stairway, if you like, because I know this really is the key, one of the keys from your point of view, and certainly I've got no reason to better question this. What's the role of emotional resilience when it comes to building a business, Paul? Well, emotional resilience is in the category of a larger concept called emotional intelligence, right? So emotional intelligence is using your thinking to affect your feeling rather than let your emotions just drive you. So a lot of people, you know, people are fond of saying, I can't help it, I just feel that way. You know, I feel angry or I feel sad or I feel afraid or I feel whatever. So there's a popular myth in our culture that says that your emotions grab you and run away with you with your state of mind. And I'm going to say, no, there's a thing called emotional intelligence, which says we can use our thinking to change our feeling. And so when it comes to emotional resilience, every business owner, especially the ones aspiring to be entrepreneurs, has to have emotional resilience because we're going to take a bunch of hits. You know, I say that, you know, business owners and entrepreneurs are the royalty of Australia because we're the ones who go out there and risk everything. You know, we kind of go out there, we, we get the cuts and the bruises and we get the criticism and the, you know, just when we're getting successful, then the tax department decides they'll help themselves as well. So business owners have a lot to deal with and, and need a lot of resilience because, you know, we pay everybody before we pay ourselves. And if there's nothing left over, well, we just go without. So the role of resilience in business is probably, particularly emotional resilience, is probably the foundation on which we can grow it because, you know, the vast majority of people, that's, you know, like 90% of the working population would rather have a job than a business. And that's because they don't have the emotional resilience because they want the risk taken out of it. They want to turn up on Friday, stick their hand out and get a pay packet so they know they can pay their bills. Those of us who go into business say, yeah, I'm, I actually, I'm going to embrace the risk because maybe the pay packet can be bigger. Quite often it's not bigger and that's when we need emotional resilience. Anybody can deal with success at a relatively high level, although you'll notice that the newspapers are full of stories who, of people who couldn't handle the level of success that they generated. You know, it's not just lottery winners, it's people who become movie stars or, you know, the sporting elite, you know, there, there are innumerable stories about people who've reached world number one and blown it all, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars vanished. So it's not just lottery winners, which is a popular story in Australia. So the role of emotional resilience, and once again, is something you have to learn from someone who knows how to do it, is to not just figure we'll get tougher with time, but to understand how it works. And that's a matter of changing our relationship with failure. So if we're going to have a proper go in business, we are going to mess up because you can't be having one success after another because it means you're not trying. So we have to be trying things that are unproven. You know, mm. the role of business is invention. We have to invent new products, new ways of delivery and bring them to the market. And of course, the market is not necessarily going to be as excited as we are. And so when we fail, we have to have the kind of relationship with failure that says, I'm okay. That's just a thing that didn't work rather than I am a failure. And too many business owners that I see take it personally. And when they take it personally, they go, 
under because they're using it as a sign that they're not acceptable or there's something wrong with them or that they're not a born business person. I don't think there was ever a born business person. I think business is purely skills. There's no talent whatsoever. And that's a weird thing to say. But to me, it's 100% skill and 0% talent. In fact, the more talent somebody has, the more difficult they are to deal with. I spent a long time working at the Australian <laughs> Institute of Sport dealing with athletes who are highly talented. And I wouldn't give you two bob for most of them because what happens for the highly talented is they get a high opinion of themselves. And when they've got a high opinion of themselves, which we might call a big ego or whatever you want to call it, then they tend to not seek wisdom outside themselves. They tend to be self-guided and usually they drive themselves off a cliff. What I'm suggesting is that if we're good with failure, we'll recognize that we were just having a go and we will actually prize or treasure the effort, not the result. Our culture says, if you get the result, you're the champion. I'm saying, no, no, no. Value the effort. Value the time and the effort you put into it. That means something. Because you see, if you can value the effort and it's still failed, well, you'll naturally have the resilience to have another go. And the person in business who keeps on having a go, like I've been in business 39 years now. In fact, May next year, it'll be 40. Four decades, you know, we have to have failed at a lot of things. You know, if I gave you the list of my failed product, <laughs> uh, failed products or services, we would be here for a long time. Mm. Now, the fact, you know, the fact that we are still here probably is a testament to the fact that you, the truism, you can fail your way to success. In fact, it is probably the most reliable method for ending up at success is fail your way to success. Mm. Makes a lot. But it's me. I could go down so many rabbit holes there. <laughs> mature. <laughs> I suppose, we, you know, we talk about mature emotional resilience or, or, or understanding and so forth. So as I say, there's a myriad of ways we could go down there. And there's so many examples come popping into my head. And I think most of you listening would be much the same because we can all draw analogies and examples. And I'm sure you will join me for a moment in nodding because I'm sure <laughs> we can all say <laughs> we've just the reality of the way things go. So from that point of view, and hopefully people are finding this helpful. I'm talking to Paul Blackburn today. Paul Blackburn is a friend and a colleague and a mentor that I've known for some 12 or 13 years, helping people in the human potential movement. And our question today is avoiding the blunders most business builders make. In fact, it's not a question, is it? We're offering a solution. So we're talking through <laughs> these options. And in, in doing that and talking about emotional resilience and that sort of thing, which I think a lot of people just don't understand or don't get, as you say, ego drives in the way of these things. So what do you say to someone who's doing, you know, 70, 80, 100 hours a week, you know, just really a slave to their business and just killing themselves in the process, I suppose, inevitably, that's the end game, isn't yes. it? And it's a very common story, mate. A lot of people that I sit down with, you know, in fact, I had a client years ago who had a very, very successful business. And, um, you know, you could say that he had the world at his fingertips in terms of generating a lot, a big fat chunk of profit every year reliably. And I was doing an interview with him to find out what are the secrets about that so that I could give that to my clients. And he said, Paul, he said, listen, we all start businesses because we want the opportunity to have more. We think, you know, we can send our kids to private schools. You know, we have more choices, those kind of things. He said, but little do we know that quite often what we're doing is we're creating a monster that demands to be fed every day mm. and that the business owns us. And what I'm going to suggest is that if you're doing those huge hours and struggling to find a way out, it is time to pull a big one. And what I mean by that is if you can see burnout on the horizon, if you're wondering, can I keep this up? The answer is no, you can't. You might be able to for the next, you know, six months, nine months, 12 months, you know, maybe even a few years, you might be able to keep it. But sooner or later, burnout is going to win. And what that means is you'll end up perhaps hospitalized. You'll certainly end up having to take a break. And at that point, many businesses actually flourish because you get out of the way. 
and the problems get solved because you're out of the way. So what I'm going to suggest is that it might sound like crazy talk, you know, the business needs me. I'm going to say, yeah, but maybe the business needs you to be out of the way for a little while so that it can go through this even rougher period where it has to sort out finding clients, charging them more money, getting that money out of them, getting it into the bank account, paying the bills, all those sort of things because you're in hospital. And I've got a client, you know, who literally worked herself into hospital. And during that two weeks that she was off, she was only in hospital for about five days, but they said the doctors released her on the condition that she did not go back to work. During that time, she recognized, just working on herself, she just recognized how she was overworking herself and how she had to redo it. Not from the point of view of she was doing anything wrong, but from the point of view of if she kept doing it the way she was doing it, she was going to end up back in hospital a lot quicker. And that those hospital visits were going to get less and less time between them, so to speak, and that she could not sustain it. And therefore she had to change how it was being done. And so in that contemplative, introspective time, when all she wanted to do was be back at work, we made her go and sit on the beach and just think. And eventually when she got frustrated enough, because, you know, she was mostly just cranky with us for a while, <laughs> then eventually she had the insight and understood she could take several steps out of the process, make it more profitable. She could actually charge more money for the service she was providing and the business turned profitable. Uh, they didn't need as many people because there weren't so many processes. So the business turned profitable. She was able to then work on getting more customers, which she desperately needed, but she was able to fill up her funnel and the business just pumps money. And it only pumps money because she took the time out. And I would say to someone who's doing those huge hours, you're going to have to take the time out sooner or later. And you're probably best to do it sooner. Yeah. I suppose part of that question is what about people who've got the determination, the grit that work through this and keep striving almost as if they were walking through an incoming tide, you know, look good King Wednesday. <laughs> what do we do with those sorts of people? You know, I, I think I guiltily have to put my hand up and, and say that that's me to a degree. You know, you, just, you keep battling on because that's your nature. But uh, what's the answer there, Paul? Well, I think one of the most admirable things about people that I see in business is this unwillingness to give up. It's, you know, I guess to go into business, you have to have that because otherwise, you know, like you know as well as I do, there's more hurdles in business than you can poke a stick at. And so, you know, we're going to have to be, we're going to have to be fighting the tide, all right. That's kind of like a given, otherwise you wouldn't survive for any period of time uh, or any length. But what I'm going to suggest is that it's not the smartest way because, you know, someone who can make a business work because they're willing to put in the 70 to 100 hours per week, the chances are they fall into the habit of doing that. And then once it becomes habit, it becomes natural. It feels natural. It's not natural, it's a habit. Yeah. And so, you know, my, my brother-in-law, he works at the university and they um, he runs a department there. He's a professor of something. And they came to him and they said, we want you to take over this other department. And he said, holy moly, like, you know, now he's going to be in charge of two instead of one. And he said, that's going to take me an extra day a week just to do that. But I'm already working five days a week. And they said, yeah, we'll pay you more money. You know, we'll give you an extra hundred grand a year. And he goes, but are you saying to me that you think that what I do now, I can compress into four days so that I've got this other day to do this other thing? And they said, yes. Mm. And he said, okay, good. Well, you can keep the hundred grand and I'm now doing four days a week. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> and that's the kind of ruthless attitude we need to bring to it because if you think about why you started the business, it was so you could buy time, right? Most people do with money is sure you buy toys, but eventually we buy time and time shows up in the form of someone to clean your house, someone to clean your pool, someone to mow your lawn, someone to, you know, we buy time in terms of, you know, I want to spend, I spend a lot of time with my grandchildren. So I just don't work in my business. I don't work during school holidays. And so that means that I only do 36 to 40 weeks per year, because if you look at school holidays, they're 10 to 12 weeks per year. And I want to be 
with those kids playing in the pool and whatever. That's buying time because I have to make my money and I want the same amount of money as I used to have. Whoever, whoever <laughs> embraced the idea would take a pay cut. So I want the same money in less time yeah. so that I can spend time with my grandchildren. All I want is my grandchildren to remember granddad was fun, not granddad was old and crotchety and used a walking stick. So we do these things, whatever, whatever you're thinking about the business, we have an ulterior motive and we need to make it pay. We need to make it deliver because if it doesn't deliver, then we're putting it off and we're getting into that burnout syndrome of saying, I can fix this with extra hours. And as I said, the problem is that becomes a habit. Once it becomes a habit, it's almost impossible to break. Yeah, it's as if you need a combination of things here. You know, it's like, it's all very well going to the doctors and getting a script, but you also need to see the physio and get a bit of massage work done as well. You know, you can't <laughs> yeah. just eat all out of a pill. And I, I suppose I think about the customers we work with and their levels of success and the ones that embrace particularly what Prue does, helping them systemize and simplify their business end up with dramatic differences where they, they see multiple yeah. multiple increases in their performance, reduction in hours and increased profitability. And it's simpler to grow. And after all, we're talking here about business builders. We're talking about business growers. And if you know one of our customers, again, that I hadn't spoken to for about eight years, started his business, got a number of outlets. And he said, I've just realized that I thought I had the key to success because my business was spot on leading the market. What I've learned is it was leading the market, but eight years on, we're so far <laughs> behind the eight ball. My competitors have crept up behind me. So you need to have that time. And I think yeah. it, that free time where your mind can drift, you know, uh, my yeah. only in the shower when you're driving the car, but you need more than that. And it's uh, the time to be creative and uh, and keep ahead of the crowd because goodness me, people complain about change. <laughs> but if you're not, if you haven't got a turbo on your change model, then you, you're you stuck. So, sorry, I'm not meant to be yeah. right now here, but <laughs> um, <laughs> from that point of view, hopefully you can sort of empathise with what I'm saying here. But is there a way out of this negative spiral, Paul? Because those of us are nodding, saying, yes, Paul, yeah. it's me. If we're bold enough to admit it. Yeah, you know, let me, before I answer the spiral question, I'll just go back to that burnout concept for one moment. The people who spend, your customers who spend time with crew getting those systems organized are actually taking time out of their business to go and train with crew. And my recommendation would be is that crew spreads the training out because the longer it lasts, the longer they're out of the business and the, <laughs> the more they will refresh. We take people away on boot camps. And I mean, like literally out into the bush where there's no reception, because if I can get them away from their phones and their computers and their internet, then uh, we can make an amazing difference. Of course, they yell and scream and carry on like our cats when we talk about, you know, you can't access my knowledge unless you're going to spend 10 days with me in the bush. You know, they all kind of scream and carry on and like they're not worried about the money. They're worried about the time. And so I just insist and I've noticed as you have that when they take that time out, you know, the first couple of days, it's just anger and just they're so pissed off that they can't get their hands on their toy and, you know, that things are going wrong. And even if they're happy to be there, there's still two days for them to unwind. So, you know, we're not going to achieve much in the first two days. Might as well get them pissed, you know, because that'll get them unwound quicker than anything else. But it's not until they unwind, they can start to see depth that they couldn't see before. The equivalent of sitting on the beach, you know. So, you know, like people going on holidays, I've noticed a week at Christmas, you know, you can watch people on the beach and you know who's got a business because they're fidgety the first few days. Mm -hmm. So we need to get around that. But you did ask about the negative spiral. And I've got a non-word expression that I think describes it for everyone. And it boils down to this. So we're going to write um, these nine words in three lines. So they happen to be three lines of three words each. And so the first three words are thoughts create feelings. What I mean by that is if you have a thought, then what happens is that creates an emotion that goes with it. For example, if I ran across the room and crashed tackle 
you want broke two legs, or sorry, broke two ribs, then you could look at that and you could feel attacked. But if you notice that, you know, I'll pin you to the floor, but a truck has come through the window and landed right where you were sitting, then you might feel saved. So your two broken ribs are going to cause you pain to whatever level, regardless of what you're thinking. But if you're thinking I attacked you for no reason, you will feel attacked and you will feel victimized and you will have negative feelings. If you're thinking that I did that in your best interest, then you're going to be feeling supported. So thoughts create feelings. In other words, the emotions that I experience are not generated because they grab me, but they're generated by my thinking. Therefore, we start with all business owners, we grab them and we grab their thinking. It's not hard to grab because we just talk about how they feel. And so what most people don't understand is that concept, thoughts create feelings. But we have feelings that turn up and they turn up so quickly that we can't catch the thought. Part of that is that the brain works on the old fight or flight syndrome. The human brain is not engineered for success. It's engineered for survival. And so whenever we feel threatened, you know, that's the tax department ringing or somebody cancelling an order or whatever, we just feel panic. But we're feeling panic because of what we were thinking. And that is, I'm thinking that's a problem or I don't know if we can handle that or whatever. And most people don't catch the thinking. But we do have to get back to that. But that's the first line. Thoughts create feelings. The second line, the second bunch of three words is feelings create action. And so if I'm feeling panicked about the tax department, the chances are I'm going to run around like a chook with my head cut off or I'm going to yell at everyone or I'm going to do something. Or I'm going to withdraw money from the bank. I'm going to ring up and get a loan. I'm going to ring the lawyers and threaten whatever. But there's some actions that I'm going to take depending on what are the feelings. And the greater the feelings of powerlessness, powerlessness then the more outrageous the actions will be. And of course, actions create results. And so if I take the action to find more customers, generally speaking, the results are higher profits. If I take the actions to get a coach to come and help me with my business and see the bits that I can't see, generally speaking, the results that that creates are far superior to the ones that I had before. So basically, we can say all of life, because you could apply this to your children, all of life is in nine words. Thoughts create feelings, feelings create actions, actions create results. If you don't like the results, then you better have a look at the thoughts and most people don't know how to find them. That's profound, actually. Yeah. It really yeah. is. Well, thanks for, thanks for, for summarising that so well. So I suppose in just moving towards winding up, I suppose the last thing I'd like to say from that point of view, because we're talking about, you know, all this element of feelings and actions and the results and everything else. So that can all create, you know, that sort of brick wall, the uncertainty. How do, how do we handle uncertainty when that pops into our, our thoughts, our feelings? Well, the major thing that people do with uncertainty, you'll know this from the sales arena. I know you spent plenty of time in that field and probably everybody listening will too as well because, you know, once again, to be successful in business, you have to have a bit of a sales orientation because even if you're not selling the product, you're selling your employees on doing what you want them to do. What people do, what buyers do when they're uncertain is they do nothing. And the problem with that is that doing nothing, procrastinating, is the world's most popular sport. Most people that I come across claim that if they were participating in the Procrastination Olympics, they would take home the gold, the gold medal. And really what that means is what they're trying to do is they're trying to find clarity. They're trying to find a direction. They're uncertain what to do and they're trying to find out what to do. But the problem is that means sit down and don't do anything. And business responds best to you doing something. So there's this constant 
concept, we say clarity versus momentum. Clarity, you can get that by sitting on the beach, but you probably go broke doing it. Therefore, what we need is momentum. Momentum will tell you if you're going in the right direction or the wrong direction. And that means trying something, which means going back to what you call the role of emotional resilience is if you're, if you can embrace the idea of failing a way forward, you'll have momentum because there's always something being trialed. There's always a new product or service being put on trial to see how it goes. You know, McDonald's consistently run new products through their company-owned stores so that when something works, they can trot it out to all of the franchisees. So they're constantly pushing the boundaries. So that's what creates momentum. And momentum is the most important ingredient in marriages, in friendships, in business, in parenting, in anything that you know. Momentum is the duck's guts. Momentum is worth its weight in rock and horse manure. Clarity is not worth a pinch of shit because you can get clear about we buggered it, we messed it up. Okay, that's good, but how long do we need to spend on that? So clarity induces the desire to get it right. The desire to figure it out has to be done in your spare time because if you're using business hours to find clarity, then you will step on the uncertainty button. It'll make everything worse because searching for clarity increases the desire to procrastinate. Whereas doing something and almost anything creates momentum momentum and momentum solves a lot of problems yeah get on with it get something started no matter what it is so paul we could talk for hours and i knew i needed to speak to you again because i've, I've got half a dozen new topics <laughs> <laughs> but if people want to contact you what, what's what's the best what would you say is the best way to to learn a bit more about what we've been talking about just go to our website it's called quantumorange.com okay. normal spelling for quantum normal spelling for orange that's the color orange so quantumorange.com okay the other thing is i usually twist people's arms and I normally do this before the conversation and say can you offer something to our listeners for having achieved the award today I've listened to 48 minutes or whatever it happens to be 38 minutes <laughs> of our conversation which I hope you've enjoyed but is there something you can offer as a bit of a tip or a you know a sort of a guide or tool for people that they can well, um... there's, there's a heap of um, there's a heap of free stuff on the website once again that's quantumorange.com there's a heap of free stuff there but anybody who emails you and asks for it you can contact me and I'll send them a five video series called the five keys to becoming unstoppable brilliant okay yeah. there we are if you heard that get in touch with me and um we'll we'll flick it through to paul paul anything you want to just finalize wrap up anything you said goodness me i wanted to just say this as a tail ender just to wrap things up before we drop the curve. fortunately I, fortunately i said it in the middle and that is i applaud all of you who have taken the risk and gone into business i know what that's like i know the risks i know that it's exciting but i also know it's terrifying the first of each month all your results go back to zero you know every counter on your dial goes back to zero and you start again um i think that you are australia's royalty because you know more than 90 percent of australians are employed in a business that that is categorized as a small business so small business is the engine that drives our economy and we all benefit from that so i want to thank all of you for taking the risk and becoming an entrepreneur and i hope it works for you Paul Blackburn from Quantum Orange, thank you so much for joining us today. I've thoroughly enjoyed myself. I hope, I hope you've enjoyed sharing and answering a few of my questions. I, I did. Lovely. I did. Thanks, right, Paul. Well, we'll catch up again fairly soon. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Look forward to uh, hearing your feedback. Love to hear from you if you want to learn a little bit more about Paul's offer, his video series, and look forward to speaking to you again at our next Franchise Radio Show. Over and out. Bye. Oh, okay. Thanks, Paul.